At the height of the civil rights movement in 1961, uh, this photo was taken. Martin Luther King, uh, along with many, many others, kneeling. Uh, they've just been arrested as part of a demonstration outside a courthouse. And what's fascinating about this photo is that he knows that he's in a part of a story that is way bigger than him. And so in the middle of uncertainty about what that looks like, he knows that there's someone higher, someone more influential, someone bigger than the story he's involved with right now. He may have his dreams for the cause, but he knows there's someone greater even than his dreams. And so in the middle of that demonstration, the king kneels. The cause he's bigger of is just is bigger. The cause he's part of is bigger than just him. He needs help, he needs guidance, he needs direction. So the king kneels. And this image came to mind because it comes uh, summarizes something that's really important as we continue this series. We've been looking at these practices that Christians have used throughout history and throughout the world, simple things that we've adopted into our lives to get to know Jesus better, to live lives well. And over the last few weeks, we've been thinking about serving, and today we're gonna think about serving. We come to the end of that little chunk. And we're aware that there's a risk in all of this. The risk is that we get the emphasis wrong that we focus on the serving, not on the one we serve. This heartbeat of this series is to get to know Jesus better, not about us. Because in the passage that we've just had read and the wider chapter, there is another king who kneels. You see, this story is part of the rise of King David. Saul was the king, but he didn't turn out to much. And so the, this chapter 7 of 2 Samuel, one of the key chapters in the whole Bible, comes just as David has become king, taken over. It's been a bit of a disaster with Saul as king. God gave them the king that they asked for, which is a cautionary note for us in our 21st century Western world about the type of leaders that we have. <coughs> Political broadcast over. <laughs> David's become king, all good, right? And this chapter comes and it seems at the beginning that David the king is doing well. Look how the chapter begins, verse one of 2 Samuel 7. After the king was settled in his palace, the Lord gave him rest from all his enemies around him. He said to Nathan the prophet, here I am living in a house of cedar while the ark of God remains in a tent. That seems good, doesn't it? The words of a servant, surely. Here am I in my palace, says the king, and God is in a tent. <laughs> that doesn't seem right. Seems a humble thing, seems the king is doing well. And yet, by the end of this chapter, we see he is on his knees. Because look at God's response to David's words. That night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan the prophet, saying, go and tell my servant David, this is what the Lord says, are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? 
I've not dwelt in the house from the day I brought the Israelites out of Egypt. To this day, I've been moving from place to place with a tent as my dwelling. The king is focused on doing what he wants for God, forgetting perhaps God, which raises a question for all of us when we think about serving God. Can we be so focused on doing things for God that we forget God? Can we be so busy in what we are trying to do for him that we forget him? Can we make it so much about what we want to do for him that we lose sight of him? Because that seems to be what might be happening in this story. Service, you see, is not about me. You see, this great quote that we may remember if we're of a certain age, when JFK famously said, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. That forms the DNA of us, doesn't it? And it seems so good. What, not what people can give you, ask what you can do for them. Great. But in the process, can we be so busy for God that we forget God? Because in this story, we've got a flipped round story of the servant who became king, and then we'll see the king who becomes a servant. The story begins, if you know David's story, where he is a shepherd. And he is brought out, and he defeats the giant with a simple sling and some stones. And we love the story of the servant, the rags to riches, the servant, the shepherd boy who becomes king of the empire. Wow, what a story. And so when David says, what can I do for you, God? It elevates us a little bit, doesn't it? Because as we go through this chapter, we realize something profound for all of us. Service is not about us at all. God explains why he doesn't want David to build him a temple. Look at what he says, verse 8 of 2 Samuel 7. Now then tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says, I took you from pasture, from tending the flock, and appointed you ruler over the people Israel. I've been with you wherever you've gone, and I've cut off all your enemies before you. Now I will make your name great like the names of the greatest men on earth. Do you see that? Who's behind it all? It's not you, David. I've done all this, David. I don't need you to do anything for me. I've been behind the scenes all along. I'm even the one who took you from being a shepherd to now the king of the empire. And going forwards, David, the future. No, 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 that, that, that's not about you either. I'm going to make your name great. I, I will do it, not you. And the key thing is, for us, is that David's greatest contribution is what comes after him. Do you see this? Now I will make your name great, like the names of the greatest men on earth. In this whole of this chapter, there's something very interesting going on. Twelve times in the whole of chapter 7, there's the word servant. Fourteen times, there's the word house. And it's a play on words. David wants to build God a house. And God says, no, I'm going to build you a house. 
Not bricks and mortar. David wants to build God a little temple. Nice. God says, I'm going to build you a dynasty that's going to last generations after you. Your legacy, David, will be way after you. Your great act of service will be not what you do. You see, service is not just about what we do. It's about what comes after us. And I want to dwell here for a moment. As we've gone through this series looking at serving, the feedback has been interesting. Throughout this series, it's fascinating because we've done a different, we've looked at silence and solitude, we've looked at prayer, we're now looking at service. Next week, we're going to look at simplicity, living simple lives. And what's been interesting to me, just as you know, you get feedback as you're a preacher and all that sort of stuff, is who's responded to what, in which way? So the people who love space, love time spending it with God, come up after the silence and solitude and prayer stuff saying, this is great. The activists amongst us can't wait to get on to the serving bit. And the people who like spending time in silence and space with God throughout the serving being a bit, a bit, it's a bit hardcore this. And what's been interesting for me is that for some of us, I think we have misheard some of the things that we've been talking about in service. And I want to zone in just for a moment on those for whom life at the moment is so full with your world that actually you've heard the stories of serving and you've heard the call to be a servant and it's just been a weight on your shoulders that has crushed you. I want to encourage particularly those parents in the room for whom you frankly are doing all you can right now to keep your head above water and to keep your children's heads above water. And you've got nothing else. And if you've heard all the talk of serving as being a crippling thing, I want to encourage you from these verses, your greatest legacy might be the legacy you leave behind. Your very serving of your children may be your greatest impact on planet Earth. And so for those mums who are just whacked, well done, keep going. For those dads who are just whacked, well done, keep going. For those aunties and uncles, for those friends of people that you're doing all you can to invest in the next generation, well done, keep going. Even if your example of parenthood, even if your example of being a loving friend is far from what you want it to be, well done, keep going. Your greatest legacy might be the legacy you leave behind. Even when your circumstances wouldn't be what you choose, even when the opportunity presents itself as it did and it wouldn't be what you choose, or even when it's not an opportunity, you take it as being something that isn't the way your plan for life worked out. It may be that your greatest legacy might be what you leave behind after you. For those that would love their life to be different from how it is, whether that is because you'd love to have a partner and you don't have one, whether that is because you'd love to have children and you don't, whether that is because the job you're currently finding yourself in is not quite where you'd planned yourself to be, whether it is because your friendships or your family environment is not what you thought it would be, maybe, just maybe, 
those very circumstances are ones in which actually you are building a legacy that will last way beyond you because of the people that are in your world right now. Your greatest act of service might just be the legacy that you leave behind after you. And if I can be vulnerable for a moment to just unpack what that looks like for me, it's to help you kind of unpack it, what it might look like for you. In my work, you have all sorts of dreams for what you long for Riverside to achieve and do. And when your family environment sometimes is a pressure, juggling all of that sometimes is tricky. And maybe, just maybe, the same will be for you, your legacy. Maybe nothing about what you do now, but the people that come after you or the world you find yourself in. David's legacy was not about building his house for God. It was what was going to come after him. So the king, the servant, became a king. But then something dramatic happens. And I don't know if you picked this up as John was reading it. Halfway through chapter 7, David starts speaking. Up till now, it's been mainly God through Nathan. And then we have this amazing role reversal where suddenly the king then becomes a servant. Did you pick that up? Ten times in ten verses, David talks himself as being a servant. Having heard that all God is going to do in him and through him, suddenly David is on his knees saying, whoa, I'm a servant. And then he's reminded time and time again of the sovereign Lord. Did you hear that in chapter 7? Now, we live in a society that doesn't quite get this humility. I love this quote from Kanye West. My greatest pain in life is that I'll never get to see myself perform live. Brilliant. If only that was your greatest pain, anyway. Or I love this story. I don't know if you heard this story. It's a brilliant story of two students in Texas. This is their local McDonald's. And they saw their design, graphic design students. And so what they thought they'd do, they'd have a bit of fun. So they took a photo of themselves and branded it with all the McDonald's branding then came in one time when it was busy, when no one was looking, and put it up on the wall. That is a photo of them in their local McDonald's. And nobody noticed for two months. <laughs> Brilliant. I wonder if sometimes we do that. We centre ourselves in the story. The story is about us, what we can achieve for God. But actually, the story of David is, reminds us that something way bigger is going on. Because look at what happens. We begin to see that serving God is all about realizing our part in God's story, not his part in our story. Look at what happens. David's res- God's response is, I'll provide a place for my people Israel. I'll plant them so they can have a home of their own, no longer be disturbed. Wicked people shall not oppress them anymore as they did at the beginning and have done ever since that time I appointed leaders over my people Israel. I'll give you rest from your enemies. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you when your days are over and you rest with your ancestors. I will raise up your offspring and I will establish his kingdom. He's the one who will build a house for my name and I'll establish 
establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Do you see what's going on? God is telling David, what's going to happen is after you. Your little, little life, you may seem great because you're the king, but there's something way bigger going on. I'm not part of your story, David. You're part of my story. And these words remind us, if you know your Bible, about something that happened way, 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 way back at the beginning of the Bible, where we get to the book of Genesis, where God plucks an unknown, insignificant man called Abraham and makes him a promise. He says this, the Lord said to Abraham, go from your country, your people and your father's household to the land I'll show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse and all people on earth, all people on earth will be blessed through you. So that when we read of God talking to David about his offspring and this great name that God is going to build for David, what do we hear about this offspring? I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He's the one who will build a house for my name, not you, David. And I'll establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And of course, the immediate implication of that is King David's son, Solomon, who'd go on to start building the temple. And yet, here we are 2,000 years later, In one month's time, we are going to be celebrating Christmas. Hallelujah. And we're going to read something that we will be reading over Christmas. And we read every year. Listen to these words. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you're to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. David was part of a way, way bigger story. And the same is true for us. Serving God is not about finding ourselves in, finding God in our story. And God, where are you going to lead me? Actually, it's about finding ourselves in God's story, God's great big story of his king who served. And so as we get to the cross, we see those staggering words of Jesus. The son of man didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The king who knelt in the garden, who said, not my will, but yours be done. And friends, serving, therefore, is about lowering our status and finding ourselves in God's great story. And whether that be through the children you bring up, whether that be through the workplace you're in, whether that be through the friends you've got opportunities to just give them a cup of water so that you can play your part in God's great big story of this king and his kingdom that will never, ever end. So friends, serving's not about us at all. Serving is realizing life is not about me. It's about finding our place in God's great big story.